courtesy of Rad, it's time for another Fireside Chat, the official podcast of Flames fans. It's go time. Well, we're back for another week of uh, talking about the Calgary Flames and what a difference a week makes, Matt. Like, this feels like a completely different team that we're talking about this week. As always, I'm Dan alongside Matt. Matt, uh, are, are you as surprised by this as I am? Well, you know, you went from being world beaters last week to getting shut out twice and losing from to the being Sharks. being world beaters to getting beat by the world. <laughs> yeah, like it just, yeah, not not a good week for the Flames. Uh, I must say, that was not an overly exciting set of games. Well, let's break this down. The last game of the Calgary Flames road trip, they were in Madison Square Garden. And if you watched a lot of the promotion going into this game, the players said they were excited to be there. They were excited for it. Uh, the Rangers shut out the Flames for their fifth straight victory. Shostirkin made 30 saves for the Rangers, and the Flames lost two to nothing in this game. This, to me, looked like the traditional sort of end of a road trip. The Flames looked tired. The Flames didn't look that engaged. I thought they got what they deserved based on what how they played. Well, to be fair, like Igor Shostirkin, I thought had an, an extremely impressive game. There was a number of Grade A scoring chances that he frankly robbed the flames of goals on um like the it, this should have probably been like a 1-1 or 2-1 game um like yeah there there were some good scoring chances but like they weren't often going in for the second chance no it was they so, weren't doing a lot of the things they needed to finish and that's why i thought they were looking a little tired yeah the they were getting the high quality initial scoring chance but not as you said not a lot of follow-up chances but you know it'll Shesterkin's one of the best goalies in the NHL. He stood on his head for all of those good chances that the Flames had, and uh, there just wasn't enough there for the Flames to actually get anything by him. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, New York deserved this win. Yeah, I agree. You know who's not a good goalie, but also is able to uh, keep the Flames out of the win column is uh, Blackwood. And the Calgary Flames came home, took on the, one of the worst teams in the league in the San Jose Sharks, ended up getting their butts handed them six to three. First game back, excited to be home. Like, it, it, I, I was surprised by this. Uh, I frankly wasn't. I, the morning of, I was making uh, jokes to some people I know that, you know, like if the Flames are playing a good team, they'll show up. If they're playing a bad team, they'll be somehow finding their way to lose badly to them. Yeah, the, it's six three. Yep, that that tracks. And I mean, this is our three hundred forty ninth show, and that's pretty much been the story since we started doing this. Yep, uh, you can get it up for the Boston's of the world, and then you play like that against San Jose. Like that should have been an easy gimme two points, and. Yeah, like, uh, frankly, if we weren't so bad against Chicago last year, they wouldn't have Connor Bedard. So it's... Well, and I was, and not only that, but, you know, like, the Flames missed by just a few points last year because they couldn't beat the worst team. And I feel like that could be the story here, too. With the Flames five points out of a wildcard spot, those two points were very important points. Yeah, and you can even harken back to previous games where they lost to guys like Columbus and Chicago and Anaheim where, you know, like, you should be collecting those points. And... Yeah, they don't, and uh, you know that really is the difference between them being in a playoff spot right now and you know in the hunt for a top five pick. And we can't even say they got robbed by Blackwood; like they got robbed by themselves. Yeah, it was a very listless performance by the team in front of Wolf. And to be fair to Dustin Wolf, four of those goals were just of the bizarre fluke variety. Like him cut, catching a rut on the ice on the first goal, and especially the fourth goal where it you know went up like ten feet in the air and then just landed under the crossbar. You know, it, you can tell it's going to be one of those kind of games when that kind of stuff tends to happen. And yeah, and you know, I I was really curious like after that first one when you could tell he caught his foot. Okay, how does a young goalie respond to this? Like, does the young goalie still have that mental fortitude to come back and you know respond to this? And he never really got a chance because it was just kind of a comedy of errors in net for him. Yeah, well, just bad turnovers by the Flames leading to point blank chances, and you know it. it it's easy to blame the goaltender on this one, but 
the whole team. It wasn't the goaltender's fault. No, the whole team in front of them played pathetically, and then all the weird bounces went in our net. So it's between the two things. You can only expect, especially a goaltender who's, you know, got less than, you know, a dozen games in the league like Wolf does, no matter how good they are, they can only bail you out so much. Yeah, and... You know, to his credit, in his first game back with the Wranglers, he played exceptionally well. Made 29 saves out of uh, 30 shots. So, you know, like, it's not like he was... Gets in the proof. Yeah. Not like he's struggling or anything. It just, it is what it is on that one, and you carry on. Well, carry on would have been nice if they could have carried on in the next game and, uh, you know, looked the way they should have, but... Detroit came to town for a matinee game on February 17th. And again, the Flames looked terrible. I can't remember the last time Jacob Markstrom got pulled, but the Flames were uh, shut out 5 nothing here. Calgary started the game really well. They had, um, I thought, a good first half. And after those quick two, first two Detroit goals, that seemed to just suck the air right out of the Flames game. Yeah, like for the first 10, 12, 14 minutes, basically up until the Connor Zari penalty, the Flames were all over the Red Wings, and, you know, like, to his credit, James Reimer played really good uh, first game in a month, which doesn't really surprise me, because, you know, if I was the other team, I'd be playing our my backup against the Flames, too. And, yeah, the, that happened, and it, the Flames just, how do you say, like, when... The Flames are looking at, like, oh, trades are incoming and, like, so many chatters off the ice about trades. Like, they tend to play with no effort. Well, and, you know, the media even asked here, like, you know, if you listen to the the Flames after the San Jose game and the guys that talked to the media and things that were said, they kept saying, we need to do better. That's unacceptable. We need to do better. And they seemed frustrated after that San Jose game. But then in Detroit... They come out and don't make any changes. And the media asked after the Detroit game, is this about the noise? Is this about, you know, the trade deadline stuff? Of course, you know, the players said, no, we're professionals. But, you know, that's definitely probably weighing on them a little bit more, especially now that they're home. Yeah, well, especially with, you know, there being a number of people that are being bandied about that it's especially hard because of that. And, like, we've heard rumors of, a number of people. It's not just Hannafin and Tanev. Well, let's come back you to know, those like thoughts Mondepane a little bit later. And Markstrom and you know, and it you know it's hard because it's like okay, well, if all of these people, who else? And 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 it, you know it does. You know, people are only human. Like you know, it's gonna disrupt you regardless of how much you're a professional. Well, after, I mean, the Flames won all the games last week, lost all the games this week. After sort of the Jekyll and Hyde couple weeks they've had, they now have 55 games in the books. They're 25, 25, and 5 for 55 total points, which puts them five points out of a wildcard spot. St. Louis holds the final Western wildcard spot with 60 points. Ahead of the Flames, we have Seattle at 56, Minnesota at 56, Nashville at 58, and behind us is Arizona five points down on us. Matt... When I look at this, though, like as frustrating as this is, this is not new to the Calgary Flames. Like this seems to be the Calgary Flames M.O. for some reason. The you could probably rename this team the you know Calgary Inconsistence, and it would make sense. Like year after year after year after year, this team seems to just be horribly inconsistent. We've changed personnel, we've changed coaches, we've changed you know GMs. We can't seem to solve this issue, and more so than other teams, they just seem to be so inconsistent. Yeah, it basically feels like we're fans of the Minnesota Wild, where it's just like, yeah, we're there. Woo! <laughs> you know, like, they, you don't really see the Flames doing anything particularly good or bad. They're just there. And, you know, they've been just a there team for, you know, basically the last 30-plus years. But even and their teams, like uh, other teams that are sort of there, I guess, don't aren't built the way the flames are. The flames, I would say are probably the team in the league that is most built for success and consistently underachieves. Yeah. And I don't know how you fix it now. Like, you know, we've talked about, okay, we got to change coaches. We've done that. We've changed the GM. We've changed the personnel. There's really, I mean, 
unless Michael Backlund is the problem, he's the only guy that's still here from, you know, many moons ago. Like, I, I is it the Saldome uh, problem? Is I know. It, you know, an, uh, a Calgary weather problem? Well, I, honestly, I think it comes down to the attitudes of the personnel themselves. Um, like, you look at, um, like, teams that are generally consistently excellent achievers and they just have this you know aura and attitude about them where like self-confidence and like we're just gonna execute our game plan our way and you know god help you if you get in our way and you know the flames are well frankly have always been kind of wishy-washy with different sets of ideals and ideas on how to actually approach the game and none of them actually coherently match at any point and like literally the only time that the flames in any sort of recent history had any sort of identity where all the guys were basically the same demeanor was the 04 run where you had a bunch of Guys that were single-minded, two-way, defensively oriented, physical And I think even there, the sort of, I looked at that still as sort of the, you know, the team of outcasts, the team of misfits. They were almost like an expansion team. They had a bunch of guys nobody else wanted, and they wanted to show that they could do it. Yeah, and, you know, but like that was, you have to go all the way back to then where like everybody had a similar mindset in terms of how they approach the game and you know like hearkening back to then like you would see regardless of which line was on the ice the same attitude from each group and you know with the flames over the last handful of years it's like each line is its own team yeah, and I think part of that, too, I would come back to, I don't think that there's been any identity of this team. Like, who are the Calgary Flames? And I think since Daryl Sutter's first run here, there's really been no identity of this team. What are the Flames? Who are the Flames? And when we look at their rosters, while they've had some pretty good rosters, really, it, it's always felt like a collection of guys. It's sort of like, hey, this guy's available, let's get him. It's At least to me, it's never felt like, okay here's the player we need or the type of player we need. Let's target this. It's just kind of been like, let's put together some players and hope it works out. Yeah. And that's one of the main reasons why I've always been a fan of getting players from successful organizations. Uh, even if it's a guy like AJ Greer, because you're, you're getting that mindset into your team or a guy like a Blake Coleman who you know, guys who have won the Stanley Cup or have gone very far with teams that have gone all the way. And, you know, like this team needs more of that internal leadership to build upon instead of, you know, like, how do you say it? It's like when the Flames were led by Giordano, like he had never been outside the first round his entire career when he was named captain and you know it's not really surprising that the team kind of struggled on taking those next steps because none of the players actually knew how to win and you know and that's why like they'd consistently underachieve every year and it's hard you know like the nhl is not an easy league and you need to have that right mix of both talent and personnel attitude wise in order to be successful. And and while it's obviously not perfect, it feels to me, and tell me if you feel the same way, it feels to me like under Craig Conroy, we're starting to get that for the first time. I mean, you know, I still think Brad Tree Living was one of the best GMs the Flames have had, don't get me wrong, but he seemed like he was... Yeah, him and Fletcher, I think, are easily yeah. one and two for best GMs. And, and, and I feel like a lot that. of times he was just collecting, like I said, free agents or collecting guys and Conroy's come in. He told us at the beginning of the season, what he was going to do He's trying to get younger and every acquisition he's made. You can see how that player fits or what the identity is, whether it's Braden Bacall, whether it's uh, AJ Greer, whether it's, you know, Kuzmenko. And I think the thing here that we're meant that we're that we missed maybe here in Calgary, like you were saying, the personnel, I think that, being that he never played in the NHL, I don't know that Brad Treliving understood 
dressing room chemistry the way that Conroy does. And I mean, you look at Kuzmenko and you look at just what he's done and the guy's a character and everybody seems to like him and like having him around. And I think Conroy might understand a little bit better about we need to bring in this kind of guy, not just for the ice, but for what they bring us off the ice. Yeah. Well, you know, and like you look at the old four team just to, you know, draw comparisons like the Flames had several happy go lucky idiots on the team. Whether it was Ville Neiman and uh, Craig Conroy, <laughs> or uh, you know, like guys like Mike Commodore, like they were all you know jokers and I don't know, you know if those are the kind of guys you want to call happy-go-lucky idiots. But you know what I mean, though. Like where it was, they would try to make you know They're everybody fun. you know pump up the team by their personality instead of oh we must must be serious man all the time and. Like, the Flames haven't really had any personality on the team, basically, since Conroy retired. And, you know, it, it's tough to... Because, like, you look at, like, even guys who have come in on, as free agents, like a guy like Christopher Stieg, who is that similar kind of, you know, guy, it, he kind of stuck out like a sore thumb while he was here because he, like, he was the only guy with any sort of personality. I think they wanted the Yager to play that role when he was here. I don't think he was around yeah. long enough to do it. No. And, you know, and it's one of those where, like, I, I think that one of the main things that this team needs is to have some personality. And, you know, like a guy like Jacob Peltier, who, you know, is... Like the happy little chihuahua, basically. Well, and also sort of the Peltier being the quote-unquote son of Huberdo, like this whole sort of little storyline they've got going there. Like, yeah. it, it does. It lightens things up. And I think when the going gets tough, and this is one of the things, like from what I know about Elias Lindholm and what I've seen from him off the ice, the guy was very serious. And I think in some ways, yeah, getting rid of him and getting rid of some of that levity has helped the team quite a bit. Yeah, and, you know, it's one of those where like basically they've changed everything else except for the attitude of the players basically since 2010 give or take because like if you look at guys that were like the leadership back then you had guys like jay bowmeister who was boring robin regeer who's very soft-spoken beyond funuf who is kind of boring Again, was soft-spoken, inter- you know, gentleman. Well, and i think funuf you know, soft-spoken but also had controversy that followed him a lot like all of those guys were not the centerpiece of the room, so to speak, in terms of personality. Like they're good people, but not, you know, the raw, raw internal cheerleaders. And, you know, like you see on like the, all the successful teams, like you have guys on the bench, you know, pumping the other guys up, uh, you know, and like trying to get things going if they're struggling for whatever reason. Yeah, it's. Uh, I just think that last week was probably, last week was probably sort of the time that we saw that the best, right? New guys, Kuzmenko was new here, coming in. I think we're we're probably seeing more of what this team really is. I mean, they've been struggling all season, and I think with the noise that we have, they're definitely fighting through something right now. Yeah. But but I think that this is probably more what they are than what we saw last week. Yeah. At least this iteration of the Flames. Yeah, and this team's supposed to be bad. You know, like, especially as they're tearing down and, like, they're trading off Lindholm, likely going to be trading off Tanev and Hannafin in the next week or two. You know, like, this team's not going to be good. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, we're three weeks away from the trade deadline, just roughly three weeks. And at least for me, the Flames still have more guys in the lineup that are probably trade assets than I expected. And you and I are recording this on Sunday between the two matinee games. I texted you this morning and said, after the performance this week, I'm expecting a move to happen today. And here we sit, no move yet. So let's kind of break down. I think we all know the assets, but let's kind of rewind through the week of trade uh, rumors, shall we? Yep. So the first one, I guess, uh, maybe the best one to talk about is Elliot Friedman's talked about the fact that the Calgary Flames and the New Jersey Devils were close on a deal. Apparently, they were really close to the point that this looked like it could work. The only question was salary retention, and they were far apart on how much salary Calgary would need to retain there. There's different rumors as to if they've gone to Markstrom with this or not, because Markstrom has a full no-movement clause, so he would need to be consulted on this. 
But let's break down this one. What would you think about New Jersey destination? What would you want back? Uh, I think you'd have to start with Dawson Mercer and a first-round draft pick for Markstrom. Any additional assets would be for whatever salary you're retaining, because uh, it's three years worth of salary. And like Markstrom's not drastically overpaid, if at all, at six million dollars. So, you know, to be asking for retention, you know, it does seem kind of a little bit ridiculous from my point of view, uh, because of the fact that like, you're going to eat a spot up for three years and you're only allowed to retain on two contracts. So it's basically handcuffing the flames at the trade deadline for the next two years after this one, if we agree to that. And it's one of those where I would very much sooner take a contract back. That's bad. Uh, you know, like say it'd have frankly, to be an like, expiring deal. Even a guy like Andre Palat, who has a year or two left, I think, you know, and he's a third liner for New Jersey, and he's making like $5 million, I would be more apt to take that back than retain salary, just because you can then use the player or move him subsequently after the fact. Yeah. I think that whatever this deal looks like, it's going to have to be similar to the last two deals we've seen, where you're getting an NHL roster player plus like you can't just do a deal for picks or just picks and prospects. Yeah. Um, Dawson Mercer, I think is good. I think though the flames are going to need some help on the blue line. I could see them targeting a guy like John Marino or Kevin ball. Um, I just think that they're probably more likely yeah. to want a defenseman back. Obviously you're not getting Luke Hughes, but I could see. No. And like realistically, you know, the, there are a bunch of guys on their team, like uh, Jonas Siegenthaler, uh, who's also a potential guy on their team. You know, um, it just depends, really. And I think you can find a trade partner who's not going to require you to retain. Yeah, and like realistically, like if you look at uh, Palat, just because I mentioned him, uh, he's actually got a year more than Markstrom does at $6 million, so it would be a dollar-for-dollar dollar swap at that point um you know probably wouldn't go with him then but you know what i mean like regardless uh, the team needs to be creative to get some cash back out of this like you know i would assume that vitek vanacek would probably be in the trade uh he makes three and a half uh for the next two years you know, like that would be adequate uh, for the Flames. Yeah, because I mean, to... I I think if you if the Flames are going to retain, they're going to retain half. So if I was the Flames, I would say, okay, you've said you can afford three. I'm not taking back six million. You've said you can afford three. Give me three million dollars back, and we'll call it a deal. Yeah, not six, because you can't retain more than half by the NHL rules. I can't yeah. see the Flames. Re I don't see how a million dollars retention is really going to help. So. Give me back a guy of that three million caliber. Yeah, exactly. Because like realistically, um, you know, in New Jersey, like they have Nico Dawes and Akira Schmid, who could easily be the backup for Markstrom for the next couple of years, and they're not going to be, you know, they're both twenty three. They're not going to be making anything, you know, really like one and a half, maybe. Mm -hmm. So it's not a big, you know, incumbents to them, but. The Flames just need to find some way, you know, like even if they take a guy like Brendan Smith back, who is like making $1.1 million for the rest of this year, you know, like add any miscellaneous depth, semi-useless player for them, you know, would be enough to cover. I just don't see any realistic need to... Throw away the, the retention slot. No, like, I, I, and I think if you wait longer, like if you're the Flames and you want to do this, and I think that if I'm a team wanting to bring Markstrom in, I would, if I can swing it, I would want to do it at the deadline because then you get three playoff runs out of them. I still don't think it's going to happen at the deadline myself. Um, I think this will be an off-season move. But if you want to, I think that if you wait long enough, you'll find someone who will find a way to eat the money. Yeah, and it's one of those where, you know, this is where you could call up, you know, because Minnesota's done this in the past, where Team A calls Minnesota said, hey, can you eat half of this contract? Yeah. You get the three-way deal pick. where someone acts you know, a bank. 
you know, and that could be a potential possibility. You know, it, it just really depends. And, you know, you look at around the league, like there are a number of teams that would be possibly interested in, uh, you know, marks from whether it's, uh, you know, Colorado, their, their goaltender makes just as much as, uh, what, um, Vanacek does. So, you know, it's the same conversation. If you're talking Colorado, you know, everything is flexible, basically. When I, the team I've thought made the most sense, and I've said this early on the season, and I think even more so now is the Kings. I mean, the Kings just changed their coach because they're sliding fast. I think the Kings are trying to find a way to stop sliding down the, down the standings. And I think they might be a team that would overpay for a goaltender at this point. Yeah. Wouldn't it be weird though? Like you and I have talked about it. We, you'd probably take a goalie back to end up getting David Riddick back here. Well, and if that works out, you know, and like Colorado, just to continue on with them for a second, like they have Ryan Johansson, who also makes $4 million and he's a free agent after next year. So like you could, you know, like there's plenty of options with the, I I feel that New Jersey, LA and Colorado are the three main teams that would make the most sense logistically. I agree. I just think you might get the most out of LA as they're trying to stop their free fall right now. Yeah. I know, because their goaltending is just bad, period. And Riddick and Talbot. I mean, you'd end up taking one of them back to be Vladar's backup. I just think it's interesting that you'd end up getting sort of your own retread back in that case. Yeah. You thought you could get away, did you? <laughs> I'd end up putting him in a different stall in the dressing room than he had before just to do it. Yeah. Because there's only two goalie stalls, so put them each in the other one. Um, Make sure that they have a different number, too. It's like... You, you're you no you're not that guy <laughs> but yeah no that's the one i think would make the most i don't want to get into a lot of trade speculation or rumors do you what do you think do you think the markstrom deal gets done at this deadline if i'm a tr- team trying to get markstrom the only time it makes sense really is at the trade deadline as you said like he's a 34 year old goaltender Getting three playoff runs and you're done with and, and getting a playoff run in his best season in a while yeah, and realistically, like, New Jersey making the most sense out of the three, you know, because they have uh, Schmid and uh, Dawes as, like, the heir apparents. It also gives them freedom to develop those guys more properly and be able to be sure that either is going to be the goaltender of the future for them, and it gives them three years to, you know basically like what we're thinking of doing with Vladar and Wolf and, you know, shepherding Wolf into the lead spot, it'll give uh, New Jersey that same flexibility while still being a cup contending team that they should be based off the rest of their roster. And just because this didn't happen doesn't mean it won't. Like I could see, I could very easily see a scenario where, New Jersey and Calgary can't come to a deal on retention. So now New Jersey's out trying to work the phone and ship a piece somewhere else to make that salary work. Like I yeah. just cause it, it didn't work at that time. Doesn't mean it's not going to No, And you have to figure that New Jersey, like they're going to be getting pressure internally because the three main guys on their team all make $8 million or less a season for the next three years. And all three of those guys are going to be making well North of that thereby you know ending their competitiveness to a large extent um like we see with a number of teams so like if they really want to gear up to go for the cup it's basically do or die right now because uh you know you look at nico heischer um and and the hughes brothers like they're you know not long for being relatively cheap and you know it's gonna take some creativity after three years from now which if you're letting marks from go after the third season then hey you dump the starting role on the winner of dodge or smeed and you know uh go from there and yeah. you know reallocate those funds upwards that way the other report that came out this week was elliot friedman reporting that that noah hannafin's about to hit the market and this one 
I don't know why this is even a report. Like he was asked apparently before the all-star game to make up a decision if he's going to re-sign or not. If he was going to re-sign, we would have heard it by now. Like this isn't something that they're going to spring on us surprisingly. There would have been a press conference or an announcement that Noah Hannafin signs an eight-year deal or seven or six or however long it is. To me, if we're this far into the season and we haven't heard anything, the answer is he's moving. Yeah, and it makes entire sense and you know it is what it is you just have to treat him as if he's like Tanev and a free agent to be and okay what can we get for this you know top pairing defenseman and I can see the I can see in this case the returns being very different I have a feeling that you'll get a whole bunch of teams that are interested in him I think that any Canadian team who's interested in him is going to be paying rental prices. I think there might be some American teams that might feel they can retain him and would be willing to pay a different price because of that. Yeah. You know, I, I think he will end up on an American team next year. And if I'm an American team and I go, wow, I could, you know, either have Calgary sign this guy and trade him or we could bring him in and sign him to seven right away. I think that there's a, uh, I don't even want to say a higher price, but I think you can get a, a different price for that. Yeah. I think, in, I think depending on the year, sometimes rentals go for more. Sometimes the long-term go for more, but I think you could ask for more different assets for a longer term player. Yeah. And you know, you look at, um, in my mind, the guy that he, you know, the situation resembles the most of, is uh, when the Anaheim Ducks traded Hampus Lindholm to the Boston Bruins. Yeah, that's probably fair. You know, and if you're looking at, like, the return for Hampus Lindholm as kind of a guide, uh, they Anaheim received a first and two seconds along with Jurho Vakahainen and John Moore. John Moore was basically a filler defenseman, number five, six guy for the Bruins at that time. And Jurho Vakahainen was a former first-round pick prospect uh, for them as a defenseman. And, and that was a rental deal. Uh, yeah, but they subsequently... It's yeah. the same situation where, you know, Lindholm was a free agent yeah, to like, be, but I can see, I can see a deal like that if they're going to sign... If they're going to bring him in, no, they can sign him. Or they've already got that deal done. Where, yeah, you'll get some prospects. You might get a roster player. You'll get some picks. I think if he's a rental, you're more likely to just get uh, picks a first, and, a, yeah, and a filler yeah. guy. Yeah, you'd probably get a first, a second, and a filler guy if it's just a pure, pure rental. Basically, the Kuzmenko uh, deal with Lindholm. Yeah, so I, I, th I think it really depends. You know, when I'm saying I don't know if one's better or worse, I think it depends how you value each set of assets. And then, you know, like this... This deal and the Tanev deal, I think, are going to be the biggest talk of the league in the next three weeks. I really think that a lot of deals for defensemen are going to wait until these guys are off the market because I think these are probably the top two guys that are available. So moving on to Tanev, I'm surprised to hear how many teams are in the mix for him and even some surprising names. I mean, we've heard that the Ottawa Senators are in the mix for him. That's that's a head-scratcher. Yeah. I can kind of understand it. it but, you know, I think that he would only, like, they'd only want him if they was going to sign for, like, three or four years just to be, like, their captain. Yeah, and in that case, they, in that they case really I'd almost missed... rather bring him in as a captain after the, after the you know, a potential playoff run. Yeah, because, like, you know, like, frankly, the, the Senators have missed the type of leadership that Chris Phillips brought to their team. And, you know, Chris Tanev's fairly similar as a player to Chris Phillips. Uh, so, you know, I can understand why they might want to have that rock leadership on the blue line from him. Um, so it does make some sense. It's just, you know, it, it would make a lot more sense if Ottawa is actually going for the playoffs right now. But what's what I mean, not. like, I, I don't, I think Tanev would be a good fit there. I'm not sure it's a good use of assets to go and try and trade for him. no. Try to bring it's him in like, July oh, first. Here's a late first round draft pick for a guy that could literally walk at free agency and you're nowhere near a playoff. Yeah, spot. and I think like, that's there's probably gonna be a bunch of conditions if that happens for that reason. Yeah. If, uh, if he re-signs, you get a second. If he doesn't, you get a third. Like if I was Calgary, I wouldn't want to take that deal. No. And realistically, like the 
they could probably get a late first for Tanev. Because if Ben Chirot can bring you a late first, Chris Tanev should be able to, too. I think a lot of people are overvaluing Tanev. I think that the the higher package is going to come from Hannafin than Tanev. Oh, I agree. It's just and that, uh, you know, how would you say it? Like, it would be just the draft pick alone. Like, I would not expect a roster player back for Tanev. Yeah, I was just about to say that. I was going to say that this is the only guy of the free agents that the Flames need a move who you could see being a purely a futures deal, purely a draft pick deal. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm expecting is, you know, we get the, a late first or a second that could become a first plus like a third. Yeah, I could see that. And the only way I can see him getting a player is it's like, well, here's a guy we're going to have to put on waivers anyways to make Tanev work. So just take him off our hands. Yeah. Uh, filler contract guy. Yeah, some number seven guy who just, you know, we take this yeah, guy. Yeah, the other team's Osterly, basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, any sense of where you think Tanev, and Tanev ends up? Uh, not really. Uh, just because of the fact that there are about 15 playoff teams that would like Chris Tanev on their blue line. So, yeah, <laughs> there's literally every team would want him. So... It's yeah. hard to really parse who's serious about it and who's not. And I think because of that, too, you're probably going to see Calgary getting more than we expect because I have a feeling the Tanev is going to be a bidding war, and I can see that bidding war even coming down to the day of the deadline. I My gut tells me it'll be done early, but I can see this coming down right to the day of the deadline, and I think because teams are bidding against each other, we might go, oh, wow, okay, they were able to get you know a second instead of a third or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, it's like Ben Sherratt. He was literally the day of the deadline uh, deal, and he got a first plus. Yeah, you know, and- but I I think that year though I don't know if Sherratt was as in demand as Tanev is. Like I think there's a lot of teams that would want this done early because then they go, okay, if we don't get it done, now we're gonna have to go find somebody else. True. So I'm wondering if you see this done early for that reason. Like I think I we've heard this before where it's like this one trade stalled the market, and I think that's where we could be. I don't even know if Noah if um, Noah Hannafin moves until Tanev's done. Yeah, we'll see. It, it's one of those I would be absolutely floored if both of those guys or either of them are still on the team after the deadline. They're not going to be. I think we know that at this point. Yeah. And I think now it's just a matter of what are the Flames get back for them and what does that asset look like? Yeah. So the other question then that comes with that is the Flames have seven games between now and the trade deadline. Do you expect to see these players play in, let's say, all seven or as many as it takes before they leave town? Or do you think the Calgary Flames start to sit these players in anticipation of a trade? Um, I think it will depend on how close the deal is. Like, I, I would expect that you'd probably see them play most of this week's games and then, you know, quickly dwindling. And I wouldn't be surprised if they started getting sheltered a little bit ice time wise as well during those games and Tanev's the one I'm worried about. Like he always seems to be getting hurt. Yeah, I know. And realistically, I, I think that's part of the reason why the pressure is on to move him first is because of, you know, he is such a warrior that don't let the asset get any further damaged. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and because of that, I think you will probably see that one done. I think that's the easier deal to do too. Like, I don't know that Hanev wants, or sorry, that Tanev, wants to re-sign anywhere yet. I think everyone's looking at Tanev as a rental. So I think it's easier to do that where the Hannafin, it might be, well, we're going to let three teams talk to him and see if they can do a deal. And that takes time. I think that the easier of the two and the quicker of the two is the one they'll get done first. And I think that's the Chris Tanev deal. Yeah. Well, and then on top of it, uh, the benefit to basically all of the guys that have been talked about is that they're relatively cheap, uh, for you know pending ufas like it's easy to slot any of those guys in and like the flames wouldn't necessarily need to either retain salary or much salary well yeah and even if you want me to retain salary both those guys are in the mid fours if you come to me and say hey will you eat 4.2 for only the rest of this year sure i'll do that there's a cost but i'm happy to do it yeah and even if that's adding like an extra like fourth round pick or something to the deal Mm -hmm. sure you know. Yeah, I, I think if I was the GM, I'd probably make that conditional. Let's see how far you go. The further you go, the worse it's going to be for you um, in terms of price. But yeah, I mean, 
you know, and then that's off the books at the end of the year. So I think totally, if you want to retain salary in one of those guys, definitely go ahead and do yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and that's why, you know, like it makes a lot less sense to retain on marks from, in my opinion, I uh, like I'd rather even take a guy like Palat who's got an extra year than Markstrom at the same dollar amount just for the fact that you don't have to eat the retention spot for three years and you, yeah. you could have an actual NHL player for those three years as well blah 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 yeah like I'm kind of thinking when I say make it worse for the team if they go deeper I'm kind of thinking it could be like a fourth but if you make it to the, your conference finals it's a third yeah like if this ends up being a good deal for you it's going to cost you more for us to retain yep um, I'd be curious to see who the first GM to ever put a condition on a trade was like they're all over the place now. And I, I remember a time when there was none of them. Yeah. Well, I want to say it was Berkey, but I don't know that for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know the first really complicated one was for living. <laughs> yeah. But even, but even, you know, the idea of, okay, if you make it to the finals, we get a second. If you don't, we get a third or, you yeah. know, this year versus next year, it's only been the last couple of years. I know we've started to get this idea of like top 10 protected trades in, uh, in conditions, but it'd be an, if anybody knows out there, let us know, write to us on social media, or send us an email. I'd love to know the history of that. Yep. And then Matt, I guess the last piece I wanted to talk about here is a former flame, um, former flame, Matthew Phillips, who we've talked about before went to Washington in the off season, a lot of fans thought that maybe this was the missed opportunity for the Flames. They should have brought him in. They should have, you know, kept him on the team. He was waived by his team. Uh, he's since been claimed off waivers by the Pittsburgh Penguins, who have just as many points as the Flames this year. Um, but Matthew Phillips is now a Pittsburgh Penguin. He's on the second line tonight. And this is an interesting player because I think in a lot of ways, the Penguins being a lot like the Flames are in a better position than the Capitals were. He's going to play with, it looks like, Lars Ehler, who I think is going to be great for him as a center, and Pooley But I think it's like, you know, he's not on a great team, but I think there's a better chance for him to showcase what he is. But I still don't ever think he's going to end up being what Flames fans thought he might be. Yeah. And, like, I can understand it from Pittsburgh's point of view because they desperately need you know, talent period um, to, as they try their best to stave off the rebuild until Crosby and Malkin and Latang are all gone. But, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a good third line guys, fourth line guy. And I think that's where he'll settle with these guys. But I just, I, I, I still like, you know, people thought that this was a great travesty. The flames let him go. I don't think there's a guy we're going to look back at and go, wow, that's the one that got away. Yeah. No, yeah, and like even fun. if he becomes the 30 goal guy, which he's never going to, but you know, even then it's like well, you never showed that level of play on our team, so we made the decision with the information we had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he got 76 goals last year with the Wranglers in 66 games. So far this year he has 5 points in 27 games, one goal and four assists with the Capitals. We see this with talented players, though. There's definitely some talent there, and I think he's a guy that will bounce around the league, um, probably to teams like Washington, like Pittsburgh, these teams that just need filler players, cheap filler players. And I think he's one of these guys we'll see that when their contract hits about the million-dollar level, it becomes hard to find a job. Like I think he's a good, cheap filler guy that a lot of teams will take a crack at to say, okay, let's see if we can do something with him. But once he hits that kind of million, million and a half range, you've priced yourself out of your market. Yeah. And it it's really hard to, you know, make it to a hundred NHL games for that very reason. Like you get good enough to be reasonable, but you know, not good enough to actually be worth the dollars that you're getting compared to, you know, another guy who's making like six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars less, who's basically the same guy. Yep. And I still think that his size is going to work against him when, you know, scouts are talking about, well, who do we bring in? Do we bring in this guy or do we bring in some from our own system? I still think that his his lack of size, we should say, will probably always be that knock for him. Yeah, he has to be well performing above 
whatever. Yeah, like Goudreau did, right? You have to be you have to be able to perform so well despite the size that people are are willing to to give you that chance. Yeah, and then, you know you can make it. Like even like you look at a Pittsburgh player uh, Jake Gensel, like he's only five eight, and you know he's you know one of their best players, and it for that reason, and it's you know, but you have to be like that level of good. Yeah, but I don't think that's Phillips. No. So interesting to see him move and hopefully he does well. I know there's a player that a lot of Flames fans are tracking. Um, I would be curious, and we obviously don't know this in the IGL, but I'd be curious if any other waiver claims were made on him. I kind of wish the league would publish that. Like, here's the team that got him and here's the other claims that were made. Yeah. Anyway, let's uh, talk about our crappy predictions from last week and look ahead to next week. Oh. Uh, you thought the Flames would win all three last week. You were obviously wrong. I thought we'd win against New Jersey and San Jose lose Detroit. I was obviously also wrong. Not as wrong as you, but still wrong. The Flames lost all three. This week, they have three games. They're finishing off their four-game homestand with a game, a matinee game on Family Day at 2 p.m., a 2 p.m. start time. Uh, then they have the Boston Bruins coming to town on the 22nd, which is Thursday, for a 7 p.m. start time. And then the Battle of Alberta on Saturday, which will be an 8 p.m. start time in Edmonton. So they make a quick detour from this homestand. Remember that they'll be wearing their outdoor uh, game gear for that. That's the way that this works this year. So you'll be seeing them in those outdoor jerseys. Matt, three games. What are you thinking? Uh, who is the first opponent? You didn't mention it. Oh, sorry. It's uh, Winnipeg. Okay. Winnipeg on family day. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with a zero for this week because... Those are three really good teams that all usually play very hard against us. So, but I mean, we talked about it at the top of the show, right? They play well against good teams. I know, but I'm gonna say that just because of the sort of Damocles, you know, hanging over the team in terms of trades, that I'm kind of expecting the you know subpar efforts until then. Do you see any trades made this week? I would be surprised if there wasn't a trade or two. I don't think you get them both done this week. I think you probably need to get one of them done. Yeah, it's one of those that, uh, frankly, it needs... The sooner that we get to the deadline, like... Like, this needs to get done just for our own, you know, resource security, basically. And, you know, uh, the team can't really afford to have any hiccups along the way. They need to get as much as they can out of each of the players and, you know, move on and, you know, turn the page and let's go. Craig Conroy seems to be more, I don't want to say understanding, but Craig Conroy seems to be more into the battle of Alberta than tree was. I could see him wanting to make a deal before the Edmonton game. If he could just to free up some of that, you know, negative energy. I can agree with that. Yeah. So I could see that happening. I'm going to go a little bit different than you. I'm going to say that they win against Boston again and they lose to Winnipeg and Edmonton. As much as I always hate to predict a loss to Edmonton. Oh, I know. I so do I, but. I think it's what's realistic. Yeah. Um, sadly. And then the Flames have two days off. Like in the next week after that, they have two games. So like something has to happen, I think, by the end of February. Yeah. They play. F- you know, between now on the 18th, when we record this in the 29th, they have four games. They play almost every other or every two days. So, or I guess three days, if you think about it. So like, there's a lot of time to make a trade in there. Yeah. And realistically, this team, because the farm team's right there, you know, like recalling a guy like Cole Schwint. Yeah. Or, I mean, even on know, the road Slovia trip, it, whatever, it's not hard like, to, you know, it's not hard to recall a guy to go on a trip to Edmonton. No, like all of those guys are right there if you need it. And, you know, like, frankly, you know, like as much as I'm sure that the players on the team want this just done and over with, you know, I think everybody as Flames fans just want this done and over with too. So we can just carry on with the rest of the season, get to know these new people, whether it's guys like Kuzmenko or, you know, the draft picks or the prospects just to have something. Let's get to know that draft pick. You know, just to... Pick 422. How you doing? Yeah. But, you know, it's like getting to know... Well, and it's like looking ahead to the draft and going, okay, yeah. well, we have a third. Who are some guys that might be available then? 
Yeah, you know, or anything even turning to lo- around to another team and saying, "Yeah, we'll give you that third for someone else." Yeah, anything. You know, it's just you know, like it, how would you say? Like it's hard to cheer for this team in this situation just because of the fact that you know that they're not gonna. This is not gonna be the team you're seeing in two weeks, and you know it, you're gonna have to say goodbye to a bunch of the players that you like. And, you know, it's just tough. And, you know, until that actually happens, then you can have things to get excited about, whether it's, you know, insert miscellaneous new guy here, you know, seeing some guys from the farm, whatever, whatever. But the nice thing for the Flames is let's not let's call the Edmonton game part of the road trip. Like it's close enough or sorry, part of the homestand instead of a road trip like you know, it's only a couple hours away. The Flames are really at home between now and the deadline. So I think it's always better to acquire a player when you're at home than say, hey, random guy, come meet us in Boston where, you know, we don't really have a home. It's harder to get acquainted with our team. Um, so I think that's a, a benefit yeah. for the Flames. And too, for the listeners, do. when is the deadline? It is the 8th of uh, March, so yeah. Friday. Yeah, and the Flames are on the road or at home until the 7th of March. Yeah. So, and they're in, yes. they're in the Tampa Bay, Florida, Carolina swing uh, on the seventh, ninth and 10th. So, you know, if they leave it till uh, the actual deadline day, then it will be, as you described of going, joining us yeah. in Carolina or in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Or waiting until we get back for the Colorado game on the 12th. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of merit to getting some done. Like you, I would be shocked if, a trade didn't happen this week. It just feels like with all the weight this has in the team, you've got to do something. Yeah. And just get like, how would you say, um, Treliving was always a guy who did all of his homework and Conroy seems to be very much the same kind of guy in terms of being overly prepared to, you know, address whatever situations befall him. And, you know, like knowing that, you know, Hannafin's going to be going, Tanev's going to be going, possibly Markstrom, possibly other players too, depending on situation, that, you know, it's, he's already got probably the laundry list of players that are available from all of these teams. Yeah, and and I don't think waiting helps him with his return. Like, I think even now, even if you only moved, like, Tanev, I think you know what the Tanev return is now. Yeah. The Hannafin return might change, but... I'd say, you know, as soon as you know what the return is on Tanev, do the deal. Yep, exactly. And you saw that with the Lindholm trade. Like, okay, we want this, 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 and that. Okay, the team actually met that requirement. Bam, done, out the door. And, you know, and I think that you're going to see that over the next week or two. It's just, you know, hopefully sooner than later just to get it over with. Well, Matt, let's find out what happens over the next week, and you and I will talk uh, again this time next week and see if we have any new exciting flames to welcome to our listeners. Yep, and as always, go Flames, go. Fireside Chat is hosted by Dan Stevenson, co-hosted by Matt DeBorg. This episode produced and edited by Peter Marino. Fireside Chat is licensed under Creative Commons license. For full license details, visit firesidechat.ca.